Remembering Good Harbour Beach by Debbie Weiss. Inspired by the work of Edward Hopper, especially the watercolours. They say behind every successful man is an ambitious woman. That certainly may be true. In my case, the saying would be, behind the successful man was an artistic woman wishing for her own success. It all began back in summer 1923 in Gloucester, Massachusetts, when I was still Miss Josephine Niverson and Edward Hopper was still an unknown artist. Gloucester was one of the places artists would go in summertime for inspiration, to meet other artists and some fun. After reconnecting there, Ed and I started to go sketching together. Early on, we made an outing to Good Harbour Beach. Oh, I remember the day well. The weather was sublime. is glorious in summer, isn't it? Hmm. What do you think? Do you prefer Gloucester to Maine? Hmm. Apples and oranges. I like both. Yes, but as much as I liked Agunquit and Monhagen, Gloucester does have a certain je ne sais quoi. I find it very inspirational, don't you? Hmm. There's more to it than the sea and coastline. There's the working harbour, or the boats, the churches, the eclectic architecture. It's a charming mishmash, and there is a sincerity, an authenticity about it. <coughs> oh, I agree. Funny, isn't it, how we never really got to know each other before? We started with Robert Henri at the same time, and stayed at the Agonquit boarding house that one summer. <laughs> a few summers later, we were both out at Monaghan Island to paint. You finally said hi to me. Do you remember? We were on the wharf. I'm a friendly fellow. That was all you said, though. I thought you had good dancing legs, but you wouldn't dance. You are so shy. I am forever in your debt for rescuing Arthur. He was your cat, and roaming at large. Well, I appreciate your efforts. I know how much your art-making means to you and that you don't like to lose a moment about it. You spent most of the day helping me find him. I didn't think you even liked Arthur. I don't. Don't think he likes me, either. Arthur likes everyone. He sunk his claws into me when I rescued him. He must have been traumatized from the experience. He's not used to being outside and away from me for so long. That was traumatizing for me, too. Happily, neither of you is the worse for it. Do you always work on the horizontal? Hmm? Mm. I just never cared for the vertical. And I generally prefer it. You find that significant? I find it interesting. Maybe I like the vertical because it gives me more height. I don't need more of that. Up there, you have a bird's eye view. Well, down there, you have what? A worm's eye view? <laughs> Ed, 
You've used watercolors before, haven't you? Yes. For my magazine cover mock-ups and commercial illustrations, but for my serious work, I use oils. You don't think much of them, do you? Watercolors are for amateurs and dilettantes. Like Homer and Sargent. <laughs> I love watercolors. I find it a challenging medium that allows for some wonderful effects. They are simply marvelous in conveying light. The brightness of the sky, sunlight on just about everything, reflections on the water. You should try using watercolors in Gloucester. You'd really capture the light here. I think you'd find their value. No. I see. You're an oil snob. Hmm. I am not. Sure you are. A lot of artists have negative preconceptions about watercolors and consider them to be a lesser medium. That's just due to their ignorance. They're inexperienced using them. Look, let me show you what I mean. I brought them along with me today. Hmm. The beauty of watercolors is all about what is revealed when left uncovered. See how I capture the light on the water with just a few strokes of my brush? Leaving the paper exposed. Then when you use the white paint, it'll have greater impact. You're not going to get this sort of translucency with oils. Blending pigments is easier, too, making any color you would want. Why don't you show me what you can do with them? You also know that it can be very freeing to change mediums. Opening up all sorts of possibilities. Your shift to etchings was a turning point. You told me. Go on. What are you afraid of? Show me what you can do. <sighs> all right. If you'll then leave me be. Wonderful. Here, you can try them out now. I'm just going to be sketching today. Aggravate mama, treat me kind or let me be. I mean, just let me be. Aggravating papa, I'll do anything you say. Anything you say. But when you go strutting, do you strut around my way? So, papa, just treat me pretty. Be nice and kind. The way you treated me will make me lose my mind. Aggravating Papa, don't you try to two-time me. <laughs> oh, the light is perfect now. Ah, you've settled on a subject? It's a beautiful day, isn't it? Yes. I'm happy to see you're taking up the watercolors with such enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. Oh, Bass Rocks. Oh, that'll make a nice composition. I've had great success with my watercolors. I sold four. No, no, five. Just before leaving New York City to come up here to Cape Ann. Five. Can you imagine? You sold something in the armory show. I isn't that what you told me? Yes, an oil called Sailing. Sold for $250 to a textile manufacturer. 
It listed at 300. It is truly splendid that you're part of the groundbreaking show and sold a piece. That show really helped develop the American art market. I had another submission. Blackwell's Island. It wasn't accepted. George Bellows showed no less than five paintings and a number of drawings. What do you expect? George Bellows was involved in the organization of the show. <laughs> he was also George Bellows the Wonderkind. He could have lent me a hand then and at other times, but he never did. He has never deigned to lift a finger to help me. And so my career continues to languish. But surely you've sold since then. The Armory Show was in, what, 1913? <sighs> None of your etchings? No. Oh, I'm sorry. There's nothing for you to be sorry about. I have won prizes, recently for two etchings. Congratulations. That is wonderful. Prizes provide recognition and can be lucrative. Still, it is so important that an artist sells their work. That fact is not lost on me, Joe. My failure is in sharp relief against the galloping success of everyone else. Not just Bellows, but Rockwell, Kent... Guy de Pinay de Bois, Cal Springhorn, Glenn Coleman. Don't you think you're exaggerating? And anyway, you shouldn't compare yourself to others like that. How can I not? We all study together under Henri. Something new and different may be called for. Very nice. That's really coming along. From what I can see... Looks like you have a talent for the medium. I've noticed how much you like to draw the houses here. Oh, I do too. You should do them in watercolours. And I think I found a great subject for you. The other day, when I was taking a walk through town, I passed this house on Main Street, just off the harbour. It's set back on a little hill, so, well, you're going to laugh, but it struck me that it seemed an architectural wedding cake. <laughs> a wedding cake house? Yeah, yeah, I think it looks just like one. All white with several levels, like layers of a cake, and a widow's walk as the topper. And, and why do you think I would be especially interested in a wedding cake house? I didn't think the fact that it looked like a wedding cake would make it of special interest to you. I just felt its striking appearance would make it so. I referred to it as a wedding cake simply because that is how it appeared to me at the time. Call it a birthday cake if you prefer. Well, I hope you have nothing against wedding cakes. Or weddings. No. Not necessarily. I think you'd enjoy painting it. It's much more visually harmonious than that Victorian mansard monstrosity you are so enamored with over at Rocky Neck. It's more crazy quilt than house. I don't know what exactly you see in it. I like distinctive structures. They have character. They are odd and idiosyncratic, if you ask me. Well, that's what I find so appealing. Buildings, especially houses, are just like people with all their quirks, individuality, and special traits. I might even say they're more interesting and easier to deal with than people. And them 
I can understand at least. I hope you don't find everyone so difficult to understand. In any case, if you like that farrago of a man-sired house so much, you should paint it. And anything else that catches your fancy, for that matter, with the watercolors. There are several small homes, well, shacks really, in the Italian neighborhood that I want to paint. They have real character. I think they could interest you too. We could go there next to work. They're not far from Our Lady of Good Voyage, which I want to do more drawings and watercolors of. I love its facade, especially the Madonna in between the two towers. She has one hand raised to bless not the Bambino, but a ship, a two-masted fishing schooner. She holds it in the other. I will have to take care not to strain my neck looking up as I try to see the details. Ah, if only I were taller. Keep craning your neck like you've been doing, trying to get a look at my pad, and you'll surely hurt yourself. Why won't you let me see your work? You're being so secretive. I will show it to you, but not until I'm finished. I'm a patient woman. I can wait. So, no Verlaine today? L'entendez-vous, l'entendez-vous. Le menu flot sur les calots. Il passe et corps glissé et doucement dédié aux branches qui se sont corps se penchant, sa chanson lissée. Oh, c'est bien, Ed. <laughs> but that is not Verlaine. Who is the author? Emile Verheeren, a Belgian symbolist I discovered while studying art in Paris. The poem is called Le Chant de l'eau. What a song. His description of the water is so evocative. I can see why it came to mind here on the shore with the waves lapping. I'm surprised I didn't hear of their hair when I studied in Amsterdam. Tappy. Snippagrav, you're still the most sophisticated girl I know. Hmm. There. Now I'm finished. And now, let me see what you've done. Voila. Why, why, Ed, it's a portrait of me in my bathing costume and white brim hat sketching here on the beach. And I thought you were making a landscape all this time. I was. You just happened to be in the landscape. I see. Oh, this is really good. I just knew you would take to watercolors. What do you think? Confess, you're pleased with the result, aren't you? Hmm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Should be glad I didn't leave you be. You'll have to listen to me more often. Oh, we should celebrate. <laughs> My forthcoming fame? If this is any indication, I think watercolors will be another turning point for you, helping you get that big break. Just you wait and see, Ed Hopper, and you'll have me to thank.
That's how I remembered that first summer we spent in Gloucester in 1923. Ed, of course, had a different view of things, which he expressed most emphatically during one of our many discussions. It was summer again, 16 years later, in 1939, when we were out at our house in Truro, Massachusetts, on Cape Cod. Since 1930, we'd spend our summers there. Oh, and I should mention, Ed and I, well, we're married now. Have been for the past 15 years. That is not how I remember it. Hmm, of course not. You have it all wrong. You want to take credit for everything, Joe. What about me? I had something to do with it. And I take exception at how you describe me. And I do not grunt like that. Hmm. What I take exception to is that you have never given me the credit I am due. Not one iota of recognition. Not any sign of appreciation. I would give you more credit and greatly appreciate it if you're a better homemaker and cooked. I'm not talking about that. Sixteen years and yet not a crumb to me. Here we go again. I've given up so much for you, to help you in your career. I want you to acknowledge how important I am to you, and to your work. Have I ever said otherwise? If you weren't, why would I keep you around? I wonder about that, and why I stay. Often. The problem is, Ed, that you have never said anything. What would you have me do? Make declarations from the rooftops? I would like that, yes. Why should it matter what anyone else thinks when we know the truth? But it does matter. It matters a lot. In the absence of words, inferences are made. I am an artist just like you. And like you, I need to be able to create my art. Still, I am your muse, model, supporter, helpmate, salesman, accounts manager, wife, and lover. At your constant beck and call, encouraging you, keeping precise records, protecting you from journalists. Who has been a better friend to you than me? And how do you repay me? You criticize me and denigrate my art. Just a little constructive criticism for our lady flower painter. That's exactly what I'm talking about. You know I don't like it when you call me that. You don't realize, Ed, how needy you are. I give so much to you that there is nothing left for me. It's exhausting. And it's not reciprocated. What do you want from me? A simple thank you now and again would be a good start. Before we met in Gloucester that summer, you hadn't sold a piece of art in ten years. I got you included in the Brooklyn Museum show that fall. Six of your watercolors hanging beside mine, and the sale of the mansard roof to the museum. Frank Rain Gallery then represented you, giving you a one-man show that sold out. You may have made the introduction to the Brooklyn Museum, but my work spoke for itself. George Bellows bought two of the watercolors of the gallery show, including one of that wedding cake house. I told you it was a good subject. 
After that, your work started to show regularly at museums, win more prizes, and sell with the sale of 15 of your etchings to the Metropolitan Museum and praise from influential critics like McBride, we knew you had arrived. Before too long, collectors were hanging your watercolours next to those of Winslow Homer. Yes. Years after George Bellow sold a painting to the Met and was lauded by all, I always thought it such a kick in the head, Bellow's purchase of my work. I could have used his support a lot sooner. Because he's not here to see me now. <sighs> Just like you to complain about what you don't get and not appreciate what you do. Your continued rancor at the poor man dead and gone all these years is absurd. And here I am, right in front of you, someone who has done so much for you. If it weren't for me, you would never have even made your beautiful watercolors in Gloucester in the first place. They were what brought you attention. Everything started that summer of 1923. That's when you were kindest to me, when we were courting. And you... You remember nothing. What I remember is the incredible light in Gloucester that summer, and that I borrowed your watercolours to better capture it. Sometimes Edward Harper talking to you is just like dropping a stone in a well, except that it doesn't thump when it hits bottom. What the hell is that supposed to mean? Oh! Calm down, Joe. You almost hit me. I wish I had. Before you throw anything else, will you listen to me for a minute? You should know that I remember a great deal from that summer. For instance, that we arrived separately but left together. I also can't forget how Arthur sunk his claws into me. I still have the scars. <laughs> Hardly noticeable. Anyway, scars add character. And you like things with character. He was always my rival for your affection, that scourge of Ninth Street. You haven't needed to worry about him for a long while. It's been 14 years since my poor, sainted Arthur went missing. Wouldn't put it past you if you had something to do with that. I won't dignify that with an answer. I helped you search for him once again. Day and night we're out looking. We put off our trip to the southwest for months. Yes, I know. I appreciated all of that. We were to go at Easter for the fiestas in New Mexico. <laughs> and we missed them. Oh, but that corn dance we attended left such an impression on me. What left an impression on me was my sore backside from the horseback riding we did. I was not the equestrian like you. Our first trip out west. It was more of a honeymoon than the actual one the summer before. Oh, we saw so many marvellous things, though you never seemed very moved. I think it was during that trip that you firmly cast me in my new role. You are my favourite model, Joe. I am your only model, Ed. And it is well that you're my favourite. And the light is almost just right for you to pose again for Cape Cod evening. You see how very important you are? And it wasn't for Heron's poem I recited to you, it was for Lane's. No, I, I distinctly remember I... You had practically demanded some Verlaine, and I, as I generally do, complied with La Lune Blanche. La Lune Blanche lui donne les bois. De chaque branche 
partent une voix sur la ramée, ou bien aimée. You know I appreciate you, Joe, and all you do for me. Do I? You should, because deep down, we love each other, in our own way. You and me, our fates are entwined. We knew that from the start, that summer in Gloucester. Uh-huh. Ed? Mm-hmm? Come here a moment. Hmm. <laughs> we are bone of each other's bone, flesh of each other's flesh, forever and ever, amen. I so adore that Verlaine poem, Ed. But I am absolutely certain it was their heron you recited that day, because I... You have been listening to Remembering Good Harbour Beach by Debbie Weiss, produced by Brianda Cross, who also played Joe Hopper, with Karim Cronfley as Ed Hopper. For more information about the production, please go to fastfictionpodcast.com, where you will also find information about our other audio dramas. And we do appreciate a tick of approval on your favourite listening platform. Thank you.